Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Good morning. That was horrible. Man alive. You think you all were dead in here. Good morning. There we go. That sounds a little bit more like real life. Grab your Bibles, whether it's uh, your phone, iPad, a, uh, an actual book. Um, those are weird things, I know. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in the 11th chapter, and we're going to get into a passage of Scripture that usually is not preached at this time in the year. This is a passage of Scripture that is reserved normally for Easter time and the time leading up to, up to Easter. We're going to be talking out of uh, the passage of Scripture in Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus enters Jerusalem. Uh, and, and the question I just, I guess as I've been wrestling with this passage all week, is this question for you. Are you expecting Jesus? Are you expecting Jesus to show up in the midst of your deepest need, your most difficult hurt, your joys and your mountaintops. You're trying to figure out about jobs and how the finances are going to work. And are you expecting Jesus? Literally, are you actually expecting Jesus to show up? Or are you hoping that maybe just some maybe way, God's going to uh, do something, maybe. There's a huge difference between a people who know that God's going to show up and a people who hope that God might show up. And, and that's my, my question for you this morning. And it's a question that kind of sets the surface or, or the foundation for us as we look into this passage of Scripture where Jesus shows up in Jerusalem did the people that day expect Jesus to show up? We're going to get into this in just a second. But there, there's two things that I think we need to think about when it comes to expectation. One of them is this, is preparation. If we are people who actually believe that Jesus is going to show up, then there are certain ways that we want to prepare ourselves. There are certain things that we want to get ready we, we, we want to make sure that things are ready for Jesus to show up. Because when he shows up, we, we want to have everything just right. Preparation is one of them, but also um, anticipation. What does it look like for you to anticipate God showing up in your situation? Christine and I love uh, hosting people. And um, we just recently got to uh, have some friends of ours from Texas uh, spend about a week with us. And we took them all over Tennessee. We took them some waterfalls and we showed them the, the, the tour. And, 
And um, I tell you what, we prepared for that for weeks. We had been talking about that for months. It's almost an annual thing for us, or at least a biannual. And it's something that we just, we want to get ready for. So we got the house ready. We got the plans ready. We got food ready. And I appreciate that they too made preparations. For them, their preparations look like we're going to bring the biggest Texas beef brisket we can find. Ah, no. Oh, man, it was a blessing in so many ways. But they prepared. We prepared. And it came to a point where we came together and were able to enjoy each other for about a week because we had anticipated, we had prepared, and we were ready. This is the kind of scenario, the scene that we, we, show, we uh, step into in Mark 11, verse 1. I, I just want to read this for you. Read along with me and, and mark things up. When God speaks to you out of Scripture, just make notes about that so you can go back and, and chronicle that. But these are the words that we read. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, saying, Go into that village over there. He told them, As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said that Jesus had told them what they said, what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Um, That would suggest that the people were anticipating Jesus. Oh, Jesus wants it? Sure, take that. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut on the fields, from the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings! on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God and the world. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. Um, can you imagine the scene that day? Um, People had heard about what Jesus was up to. Many of them probably had gone out to the countryside to be a part of the healings and and the miracles and the preaching. And I, 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 Jesus was was someone that people knew. It would be like you know, pick a famous person who's going to walk through our doors. We're gonna we're gonna be ready for that person. I would hope. But here they are. Um, they, they've expected Jesus. They know what to expect of Jesus. Jesus showing up, and that can only mean one thing for them. Something amazing is about to happen. So we have this question, what if Jesus doesn't come like you expect? See, here's the problem with the passage. As Jesus walks in, they are praising him. They are shouting at the tops of their lungs. They are proclaiming how awesome this is. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that in just a few days, they're going to be ridiculing Jesus and calling for his crucifixion. And I wrestle with that. I struggle with that because 
I know that in my own life, I need Jesus to show up. I know there's all sorts of things that I need God to strengthen me for. I need God to equip me with. I, I know that I need God to show up. But sometimes I struggle because Jesus shows up in ways that I'm not expecting. I remember one day um, at our first church, um, our pastor had left and we were in transition and I went out for a run that day. And it was one of those kind of runs, some of you understand this, um, where you just are out there, you're putting your all into it and you get out to the end where you're about to turn around and you just have a moment where you need to stop and gather yourself. And I said to God that day, I said, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I needed clarity from him about an, an answer, a question that I had. And uh, I, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I didn't hear anything, so I turned around and I ran home. I got ready for the day, went into work, and I got my answer, and it wasn't the answer I was hoping. In fact, the answer I got devastated me. It hurt me. It, it, it got to the heart of who I was, and I struggled with that. But you know, in the midst of that, I can say, well, God, how dare you give me that answer? That's not what I was looking for. That's not what I was hoping for. That's not what I wanted. But I think God says to us in those moments, it's not about what you want. You were the one that came to me asking for direction, and I gave it to you. So why are you now squawking? I think God can give it back to us as hard as we can give it to God. And I think that's important for us to understand. One, God wants you to give you what, give him what you've got. <laughs> you might think it's disrespectful. I think God can handle your disrespect. The question is, is where is that leading you? Are you there just to disrespect God? to curse God and to, to shame God? And, or are you truly seeking what God wants to do in your life? Are you expecting God to show up? And then the, the th second question is, but what if God doesn't show up in the way you expect? What are you gonna do? You see, the, the image we have in this story is Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Uh, it's almost like there's a procession. This procession was not abnormal. But normally what would happen is that it wasn't Jesus on a donkey, but it was an emperor on a stallion. And they would come back from their conquests of lands and battles, and they would come with their, 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 their plunder in tow. They would be right there in the middle of this procession, and they would enter the city, and people would shout, and they would holler, and, and they would be so excited for what had just happened. But Jesus doesn't show up on a stallion. He shows up on a donkey. That's anticlimactic. That is not what we expect. You see, they were wanting someone who would come in and overthrow the Roman oppression. They thought Jesus was going to do that, and then he shows up on a donkey? Well, that's weird. That's odd. Why, why wouldn't Jesus walk in on, ride in on a stallion? Because the kingdom that Jesus ushers in is different than that of what the emperors were, willing, were wanting to usher in. And you see, what we have in Jesus is the beginning of a kingdom that is breaking into our midst and is still breaking into our lives today. And this is the good news that we have in front of us today. The world, the kingdom of this world that we see around us that oftentimes we are so frustrated with is not the end of the story. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture. The passage of Scripture is in the book of Daniel. A uh, small book, and it chronicles uh, four people, the story of four people um, that were known as Daniel is one, so the name of the book is given to him. 
Daniel. Uh, the other names originally at the beginning of the book are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were the good names that had been given them at their birth. But you see, they, were, they had been brought to Babylon as King Nebuchadnezzar and his forces had conquered the land and had brought these people into exile. And these four people had been pulled out of the mass of, of slaves that had been brought because uh, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to train these men to be, um, to, to be uh, examples of what a good Babylonian could be, what a good Jew-turned-Babylonian could be. So they were selected for the prowess, their physical ability, their looks, and Nebuchadnezzar began the process of reprogramming them, retraining them, and it started with giving them new names. There's a movie series out there called Roots. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's uh, the story of Kunta Kinte, who is taken from his land in Africa and brought to the U.S. as a slave. And he gets off the boat. He's sold to his first uh, slave owner. And the first process that he is put under is to be given a new name, Toby. And there's a scene in the movie where they are beating that name into him. And they, all they wanted him to do was admit that he was no longer Kunta Kinte, but he was Toby. And every time the whip lashed his back, the, 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 the guy with the whip said, your name is Toby, say it. And every time he would say, Kunta Kinte, your name is Toby, whack. If you've seen it, you know how heart-wrenching it is. But there's something about our name that is important. It's a part of our identity. And I wonder for you today, what does your name mean to you? What does it signify for you? What is it about you? Well, in our story back in Daniel chapter 3, we find that um, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah had become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the story in the third chapter of Daniel is that um, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with them because they were not conforming to the image that he wanted them to. They weren't doing what he wanted them to. They weren't, just like Kunta Kinte, taking on their new identity. They were holding to who they were, and they were the people of God. He was so furious with them that he wanted to throw them in the blazing furnace, the fiery furnace. And so he had that furnace stoked hot as hot could be. He was going to do away with these guys because he was so repulsed with them. But in Daniel chapter 3, we read this, beginning of verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Can you just see that? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell 
into the roaring flames. Um, it may not be a literal fiery furnace for you. But what does it look like for you when life gets really hot, gets really tough? Do you expect Jesus to be there with you? Do you expect Jesus to be faithful in the midst of your trials and your tribulations, your questions and your doubts? Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They, they all replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Who was that fourth? Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. There was another one in the fire with them that day. A really good way to read scripture is to look for God from beginning to end. And a good way to understand uh, what it means to be Christian is to understand that God is triune. God is the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, let me make a very important point here. Jesus did not all of a sudden get created when he was um, conceived in Mary. That was not the beginning of Jesus. Just like the Holy Spirit didn't finally show up at Pentecost, and you read about that in Acts. The Holy Spirit has always been a part of what God was doing throughout creation. And we're told in, in, uh, in the New Testament that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we talk about the Word, we often are referring to Jesus. So when you read Scripture, I, I want you to begin looking for, okay, where is, where's the, whole, whole, the Holy Spirit here? Where's Jesus here? Where's the Father here? And I am so excited about this idea that maybe, just maybe, God shows up even in the hottest of fires in our life. We had a little conversation here this, earlier this morning, and uh, someone said, well, do you think that the three even felt any heat? Was it more like a sauna for them? And someone said, I, just, I don't think there was, temperature wasn't even an issue. The three of them, in some way, shape, or form, fully expected Jesus to show up, and they were willing for Jesus to show up even in unexpected ways. Can you imagine that day, looking into that fire? So, so I guess here's the question that I want to kind of leave us with. Um, will you welcome Jesus in? Will you welcome Jesus into your fiery furnaces? Will you welcome Jesus into your uh, Red Sea crossings where you don't know how you're going to get across, but Jesus comes along and holds the waters back? 
Will you welcome him in to your struggles with your spouse or your kids or your parents, your coworker, your boss? You expect that Jesus has actually something to say about that, or do you think Jesus just kind of wants you to figure it out? Will you welcome Jesus into that? We talk a whole lot about faith and COVID these days, but our struggle today is not just with COVID. Um, Not to minimize it, but COVID is one of the least of our worries these days. But it's consumed a lot of our attention. We know that people are getting sick and, and we want to take our precautions to help make sure that that doesn't happen to a greater degree. But do you realize that God wants to enter into our hearts and transform us in the midst of even the agony of COVID? Jesus wants to show up in the hospital rooms right now where there are people on ventilators who are fighting for life. And I wonder, just wonder, how many nurses are in those rooms that aren't on the payroll of that hospital? How many doctors are walking through hospital hallways these days, but you won't find them on the registry? And for you, what does Jesus look like in your troubles? I want to take some time to pray before we leave this morning. And I want the the music team to come up. And and as we sing this last song, I want us to sing it in a time of, in a a posture of of reflection. I I want us to think about um, the, the storms, the fires, the sickness, um, the relationship issues, all of the things that are affecting us today. And I, I want us this morning to ask Jesus in. I, I, it, you know, we, I often say that, and I pray that, and every time I pray that, I, I catch myself because I recognize that it's not that we, just, we have to coerce God into our situations. No, but we have to realize that God is in the midst of them with us. I wonder what it was like um, that in that fiery furnace, who was the first one to recognize, oh, hey, Jesus, what's up? Did they all recognize it all at once? Did they expect Jesus? Did they see Jesus? Was Jesus with them as they went in? Whatever the case may be, Jesus has something to do in the midst of your thing. So I want to pray. And they're going to lead, and you can sing, you can reflect. If you want to, and I, I just want to encourage us this morning, if you want to just turn around at your seat and kneel right there, I would encourage you to do that. Give it a try. Create an altar right there at your seat and say something like this, Jesus, you know what's going on in my life. And God, I, I need you to help me see you right there. So close your eyes with me. Bow your hearts, your heads, Kneel at your seats if you would. And let's go to the Father. This morning, Jesus, we come to you thankful that you are a God who shows up in furnaces. You are the God who shows up in the midst of chaos and creates the worlds out of it. 
You are the God who parts waters. You are a God who heals sickness. You are a God who restores sight to the blind. And today, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us recognize that above all that, you are a God who restores those of us who have been separated by sin and you bring us back. So Lord Jesus, as we sing this morning, I pray that you would help us find the answers that we've been looking for. Lord, we pray this in your name.